Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. This is week two. If you missed last week, that's all right. Just get on the podcast, get on the website this week, and you can see the video and catch it up. We started looking at what happened to Daniel and his friends because they lived in a period of Israel's history where the nation of Israel, they began to drift away. They they stopped worshiping God. They began worshiping idols. They you know, just began like, God, we don't need you anymore. We're going to be over here. We're going to do what we want. And so what happened was when any time a generation does that and they step away from God's plan and God's promises, God's like, all right, have your way. But then destruction enters. And that's what happened the, from Babylon. The king of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem and says that he besieged it. He leveled it, burned it to the ground and took away all the people, carried them away into a period of, of Israel's history that uh, the Bible calls as the captivity, which was 70 years where they served as slaves in the land of Babylon. Babylon is what we look on the map today and we see Iraq. That's where Babylon was. So they were there in slaves in Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, not only did he take them there, but he said, give me the best the best the smartest the trained the handsome ones like your pastor and all these other ones y'all laughing too hard at that part that's all right and um he brought them and he said you guys aren't going to be regular slaves you're going to come in and i'm going to teach you my language i'm going to teach you my literature and you're going to become part of me and you're going to serve me so he brought them out and made them to serve in his courts and we learned how daniel and his friends in the midst of this pagan thing and all this stuff, how they actually were able to stand strong in their faith and what they began to do. So that's the question for us is when culture's changing and culture's shifting, and it is, how do we stand firm? How do we continue to hold to the faith that we have? And so we're going to learn this today. We're going to look at two stories from the book of Daniel. They're separated from about 23 years of Israel's history. We're going to look at those today because I really think that when we talk about this whole idea of living godly in a culture that's very ungodly, people instantly start to have two thoughts about that is, well, one thought is I can stand really strong in my faith and I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have, my, you know, all that stuff and I'm going to go to heaven, praise the Lord, because I'm standing firm and no one's going to like me while I'm here, but at least I didn't get, you know, like that's one way of thinking that people have. The other way of thinking that when you talk to a lot of people that they have is, well, I'm just, I'm going to just love and in the name of love, I'm just, everything is okay and I'm just going to water everything down so that no one's mad at me and so that I can just go like, but that's all that we're doing when we do that is just watering down the effectiveness of what Jesus did for us and that's not what we're called to do. We are called to love, but we're also called called to stand firm in our faith. And there's a balance in between. Those aren't the only two options. We're actually called to do both, to love people just like Jesus did, but we're also called to stand firm in our faith. So how do we do that? We're actually going to spend one of our weeks as we go through the book of Daniel talking in depth about that topic itself because Daniel did it so well because we're not called to survive in our culture. So many times people are trying to decide between those two because they want to make sure they get through culture or they want to survive culture. Sometimes a lot of Christians even just want to retreat from culture. Like, I just don't even want to be around it because if it's there, if there's something bad, then I don't want to be affected by it. Listen for just a minute. Like, we're not scared of culture. We're not scared of things going on. We know things are changing. That's why we have the Word of God. That's why prophecy in the Bible is so important. It's not meant to scare us. It's meant to give us an insight into what's 
what's going to happen so that we're prepared so that we're not deceived by what comes our way. We've got to be aware, Scripture says, of the tactics of our enemy, right? We have a spiritual enemy, the devil. We're in a battle, and we've got to be aware of what he's trying to do. So we're not scared of culture. We're actually called to be ones that influence culture, that bring change, because, y'all, we have got the only answer. For those of you that aren't sure what that answer is, it's Jesus. All right. All right. So I'm being sure we're on the same page. That answer is Jesus. And we have the only answer. So what kind of Christians are we if we're scared to talk about it, if we just want to retreat? Like, I, I can't even like, no, listen, we're meant to be the thing that's invading culture, not letting culture just invade us, not letting culture invade into the church. It should be the other way around. We should be invading out the other way, taking the gospel to where that light is heard dim. Man, that's what we're called to do. So how do we do that? How do we live strong? How do we influence culture? We're going to look at these two stories today of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then of Daniel, and see what they have. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. If you've got the free version Bible app, you can pull it up on there too. I read in the NIV version, in case you're ever wondering. Uh, it's always the NIV version, unless it's noted otherwise on the screens. But it says this in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. I want you to notice this word right here. There's two words in this story that I want us to pay attention to. And that's this word, an image. He made an image, and then there's a sound. An image and a sound. An image and a sound, right? Because our enemy is not, not foolish. He's not stupid. He's sly and he's tricky. He wants to trick people into something that you almost didn't even realize it was happening. That's what it means to be deceived. You didn't even realize you were becoming deceived, that you were buying into something that wasn't all that good. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, how did I get here? And it always starts in an image and a sound. See, our, our enemy's not going to just put it out there and make everything to try to trip us up, to try to distract us away from where God wants us to be focused by something blatant because we'd all see it. Oh, no, I can see that. That's obviously not the direction I go. So he tries to bring it in in things that we won't notice, that we might not think are as bad. That's why it always starts with an image and a sound. So we've got to be super careful about the things that we see and the things that we hear. Because our enemy is bringing things in through culture, through an image and a sound. It's not just a movie we're going to. I know sometimes we're like, it's just a movie. I know it has that one scene that mocks God. But it's just, I'm just eating some popcorn and it's just some fun. We've got to be careful. I know, Pastor, it's just a song. I know it sings about, you know, living with my boyfriend and doing things that are reserved for marriage. But it's just a song. It's just got a cool beat. But we just got to be careful about the things that we see and the things that we hear. Because if we're not careful, we're going to be deceived. And we're not going to realize that we're just being sucked into culture and further away from where God is calling us to be. We've got to be careful about the things that we hear and the things that we see. So we set up an image 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And that's a lot of gold. Think about that for just a minute. I don't know about anybody else, but if I had enough gold to make a statue 90 feet tall and 90 feet wide, I'd be going to the bank, y'all. Forget making a statue. I'd be, I'd be on my way. He set this statue up in the plain of Dura on the province of Babylon. Again, we know that's modern-day Iraq for us, for some geography. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials, all the top dogs, all the important people, to come to the dedication of, here's our word, the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, all those important people, they came and assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do. This is what you are commanded, right? It's one thing for there to be an idol there, 
but it's another thing when now you're commanded to worship it. You will worship this or else there's going to be consequences. There's going to be a price to pay, right? And we know from the story what the price was. He goes on and he says, peoples, nations of the earth, of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and the zither, I don't know what a zither is, but it sounds awesome. Wouldn't it be cool if next week Pastor Justin was up here playing the zither? I'm a zitherist. Come on. He was playing the zither and the lyre. That's not the person sitting next to you. That's an instrument. So don't be, don't be looking over them like, see, you're in the Bible. No. It's a musical instrument. You're playing the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So when you hear the sound, you must worship the image. Right? The image and the sound. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. See, there's a test coming for all of us. There's a test of our faith that's going to happen. I believe that in the last days, and we're, we're in those days, that the greatest test of our faith is going to be what are we going to worship. The greatest test of our faith is going to be over what we worship. We're going to look at that today and we're going to discover how our enemy wants to attack worship and steal our worship away from God and what we can do about it. Because we have to realize that there's an attack. There's a war for our worship. The devil wants your worship so badly. He's willing to do whatever. And in fact, he doesn't even care what you worship as long as it's not God. He just wants you to worship anything else but God. And you can see it in the story. He's saying, when you hear the sound, I want you to worship this image. And if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. You're going to get thrown into the fire. See, that's how the enemy works. He never can motivate us to worship out of love because there's no love in him. He always motivates us out of fear, fear of a consequence. You're not doing it because you want to. You're afraid not to. That's what's happening here. We see it in the story. That's how he is. Like our, We worship God out of love because he loved us so much and he rescued us. He pulled us out of the pit and set our feet on the right path. And so I worship you, God, with everything I have. But see, the devil, he didn't got that. There's no love in him. He can only motivate us to worship out of fear, a fear of some consequence. And if you don't, you're going to pay this terrible price. And it, he tries to make it seem that it's going to be better if you bow, but it's never better if you bow. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down a few things today, a couple goals of our spiritual enemy, the devil. In case you didn't know, when you came to church today, you have a spiritual enemy. And we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. So we have to be aware of what our enemy is trying to do so that we can stand against it. First thing our spiritual enemy, the devil, wants us to do, he wants us to force us to worship something we don't believe in. To worship something we don't believe in. And if you don't worship this God that I'm telling you you're going to worship, you're going to pay the price. There's going to be consequences. So what do we do about it? (laughs) It's a good question. And I'm glad you asked. Let's look at this next story, right? Similar to the first story in Daniel chapter 3 of Rakshak and Benny, but it's a little different. And their story was you you must worship this God. In this next story, Daniel chapter 6, it's a little different. So here we see we're a few chapters later, Daniel chapter 6. And here, actually, the Medes and the Persians have invaded Babylon and taken over. King Nebuchadnezzar is gone. There's a new king, King Darius, and he's there. And he comes in to rule, and he actually figures out that Daniel's a pretty cool dude. And so he's hanging out with him. Daniel's hanging out there. And he, King Darius starts to like Daniel, starts to give him favor. And all of a sudden, all the other satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and all those other guys, they start to get jealous. They start to hate Daniel because the king likes Daniel so much and gives him so much favor that they're mad and they're jealous. So they, they're like, we got to do something about this. We got to take this guy out. So we're going to pick it up. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. It says, finally, these men, all those top dogs, the 
prefects and whatever else they were, they said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they're basically saying, Daniel's just this perfect little, you know, church, church boy over there. He's never, he always gets it right. He's always standing strong for his faith. There's nothing, we can't point out anything wrong that he's doing. He respects the king. He's always doing the right thing. The only way we can get him is if we attack his religion, if we attack his faith. That's the only way we can get him. So this is what they did. The administrators and the satraps, they went as a group to the king and they said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, should be thrown into the lion's den. So our first story was, you must worship this. This story, it's the opposite. It's like, you won't worship that. Right? You must worship this, and you won't worship that. So now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius, probably thinking he did something something good, agreed and put it in writing. So we have to see in these stories is the enemy is bringing a calculated attack for our worship. There's a battle for our worship of what we are going to worship. See, worship is not a song. That's one of the ways we worship. But worship is so much more than a song. Worship is how we live, what we think about, what we invest into. It's what we give our energies and our strength to. It is included in a song. We just did the act of worship here, but it's so much more. And there's a battle for what we're going to worship, for what's going to be top priority in our lives. There's a battle for it. It's all the way from the beginning to the end. You can look back in Genesis. There was a battle for worship. You look in the middle. We're here in the middle in the prophecy section with Daniel. There's a battle for worship. And you go all the way to the end of Revelation. It ends. Everything ends with a battle for worship. We have to realize this. We have to look back. And I want to take just a minute and just kind of teach a little bit on some of this, how all this is piecing together because i want you to see that all the way from the beginning from genesis all the way to maps it's all the way in there okay that's funny thank you maria for laughing the rest of you guys that's all right i love you it's all the way in there you know, some of you have just have the U version bible app and you're like where's the maps is there a book called there's no book called maps you have to have a real bible and you have maps in the back after okay chalk that one up to bad pastor jokes but it's all the way in there from cover to cover this war for worship so when we look back at the beginning way before adam and eve god created you know he had he was he was before he ever did anything else and we read in isaiah chapter 14 and ezekiel 28 about lucifer the angel lucifer who we know now as satan he's our spiritual enemy but it says that he was created and he was the most beautiful of all the angelic beings it describes his how he was made his body that he had jewels adorned his whole body all over he was beautiful some translations even talk about how there was musical instruments that were part of his body it was built into his body and that's where we get this whole idea that lucifer's job was to help to worship god right it goes on and it says how he was on the mountain of god lucifer was there in god's presence that he was there he he walked upon the fiery stones there before the presence of god man what a place to be on the mountain of god before god's presence and his job was to worship but he had a problem he began to get puffed up. He began to think, he said, I will ascend above God's place. My, my, my throne, my place will be above God's place. And he began to desire the worship, to worship me, bring all the worship here. See, and God had a problem with that. Right? 
So he, had, he cast Lucifer down. It says he cast him down to the earth. And not only did he cast him down, but he destroyed him. So he's not this beautiful angelic thing anymore. It talks about the destruction of Lucifer and how he was crushed and destroyed. And he doesn't resemble that anymore. He completely looks like something else. That's why it says he has to pretend to be an angel of light. That's why he goes around pretending to be a lion, right? We think he's out there roaring like this big lion, like, you will worship this. You're not going to do this. But, like, he, he ain't got nothing. He ain't got nothing. There's some people, there's some, uh, you, know, philosopher, you know, philosophers that really have kind of taken the first couple of verses of the Bible and you begin piecing this story together. Because one of the things that Lucifer said is he said, I will be like God. Think about for a minute, when he's in the garden with Adam and Eve, what did he tell Eve? Oh, don't worry, you won't die. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. See the, see the battle for worship is beginning. But what, what, what is an interesting theory you know, is that in the beginning, you have Genesis 1, 1, and it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what? The earth was dark and formless, and darkness covered the face of the earth. So some people think that this story happened, this Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, happened in between verse 1 and verse 2, that God cast Satan down to the earth and destroyed him, and there's this darkness that's covering this earth. And now God had a problem, so he's like, we got to fix this. Genesis 1, 2, let there be light. Right? Because God is in the business of restoring, of building. He's, he's in the business of bringing what was destroyed by the enemy to make it good again, to make it whole again. That's the God we serve, right? Genesis 1-2. So now God has a problem. He's got this earth. He's created all these things. And he's got an unemployed angel on the earth who is supposed to be leading people to worship him. And now he's leading people to worship himself. And so what does he do? God says, I've, I've, I've got to give somebody this job. So you know who he gave that job to? us god created us to worship that's why we are created to worship him right that's why the devil hates you so much okay he's not to, he's not just this little guy with a pitchfork and a you know right a, a red spandex suit with little horns on his head that's not who that's not who he is he hates our stinking guts i okay i had a kid growing up who would, he would tell me all the time i hate your stinking guts i'm like my guts are stinking like i didn't get it i was just a little kid but that's how the devil he hates our guts and he's out to destroy he hates us so bad because he was in god's presence he was on the holy mountain he was there and he was supposed to worship god and he was the best one created to ever do it and he couldn't even do it and he hates us so much because we've never even been there we've never even seen god with our eyes but yet man we worship god anyways i put my trust in you even when he brings all of his forces against us and tries to destroy us even when sickness comes and problems come we're like i worship you anyway i don't understand it but i can worship you anyways like and he hates it so much because he couldn't even do it and he was there come on the devil hates our guts but that's all right it's all right we got this i, I love the bible it brings so much clarity to these things because we were made to worship y'all we were made to worship listen god even took let, let, can i just go a little more God even took the and put into us, built into our bodies, music. That's why we're so obsessed with it. That's why it's everywhere in our culture. Why do you think the enemy uses an image and a sound so much? Why do you think it's such a hot button, especially in the church? Why do you think that stuff is all trying to creep into the church? Because the enemy is trying to bring deception. He's trying to bring all these things. We've got to be careful about what we like. But God put those things into us. That's why everywhere we go. Like, that's why when we're, you know, music, sometimes you start getting all those goosebumps all over in the music. 
Man, because that's how we were made. We were made to be moved by those things. We were made to worship. We even had those instruments built into our bodies. Listen, you've got a, a vocal cord right here. And most, one of the most amazing things in your body, this voice that you can sing praise, that you can shout, hey! You know, you can make some noise in the house before God. You can shout. You can sing melodically. You can harmonize with another person. You can create music with nothing but your voice. Man, God even gave you percussion instruments right here in your hands. You can make some joyful music. God gave you feet, some legs to jump. Come on. You can, you can do some things. God put some things inside of you, man, that the devil was supposed to do. Man, no wonder he hates us so much. No wonder he's trying to do things. Let me show you in the scripture. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, all things have been created through him, meaning God, and for him. Y'all, we were created for God. We are created for his pleasure, not our own. Come on. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it gives us a picture of what we're going to do one day when we go to heaven. It says, the people were all saying, for you are worthy, our God and our, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Y'all, we exist to worship God. We exist for him. All things were created for that. That's what we were created for. The Bible talks about the spirit of the Antichrist coming into the world and... Um, you know, we, we were in Genesis. We were in Daniel. I want to look at this as we get to the end. So we get a complete picture of really what's trying to happen because it, it's, it's a real thing. The Bible talks about the spirit of Antichrist rising up in the world. and He's going to do all kinds of crazy things. One of the things he's going to do is actually set up an idol of himself. We can read about it here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And why would the Bible tell us that? Like, Pastor, I'm not deceived. Listen, that's what a deceived person will say. <laughs> I'm not de- deceived me. It's like you thought something was good and you didn't even realize that you slowly bought into a lie and it wasn't really a good thing. It's like some things aren't as innocent as they seem, right? So that's what it means to be deceived. Oh, I thought this was just innocent, but really it was, it was, it was hurting us. It was leading us astray. So don't be deceived in any way because if, if it's possible is what he's saying. It's possible that we can be deceived. Or he wouldn't have instructed us not to be. So we've got to be aware. We've got to be on guard so that we are not deceived in any way. That we are aware. So don't be deceived in any way. For that day will come, uh, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Come on. That's a, that's a place to say amen right there. You're like, what do you mean? Because he's talking about the Antichrist. The man that's doomed to destruction. So even when he comes and he's like, you're going to worship my God or you're going to be burning the fire when that test comes and there's a consequence associated to it. Y'all don't even worry about it because he loses in the end. He's just telling us right there like, hey, don't worry about it. He's just going to lose in the end. So just go ahead and take your stand. You're going to be all right. Okay. Like that's what he's saying. That's what's so good for us about prophecy. We don't have to be afraid of prophetic things in the Bible because one-third of our Bible is written in a prophetic about things to come. One-third. It's important for us to know we're not, we're not scared of it. We're not shying away. It's good for us to know, like, oh, he's going to lose. He's going to lose at the end. But he's going to do some things in the meantime. So he goes on. He says, he will oppose and he will exalt. He will oppose. You cannot worship that God and he will exalt. You will worship this God. You will worship me. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's what Jesus referred to in the New Testament as the abomination of desolation. So when you when you read about that, that's what Jesus is talking about. And it's literally where the Antichrist will come and will build a statue of himself in the temple of God in Jerusalem and command all the nations of the earth to worship it. 
That's what's going to happen. We got to, and when you see that happen, if, you, if we're still here, baby, just look to the sky. Jesus is coming back soon. But we see the same thing in Revelation. It's in chapter 13. It says this, because of the signs, he, they, the, the beast was given power to do on behalf of the first beast. So he did what? He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. We got we to gotta be aware. Don't be deceived in any way. Don't be tricked in any way. He ordered them to set up, here it is, an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Notice again, the motivation is not because you want to worship it. It's because you're afraid not to. It's, the motivation is fear, not because you want to worship it. So he forced everyone, small, great, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name, which we know later in the Bible tells us is the number 666. Man, it's a mark that people will take on and literally becomes the currency. You can see, like, the devil wants worship so bad, like there's nothing he won't hold back. There's no threat he won't throw out there. So you won't even be able to go to Walmart without this mark. You know, you have to be like, boop. Some people will be like, boop, right? Maybe some of you start shop at Target, and that's okay, too. But he's literally trying to motivate people out of fear so bad. They're so afraid, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not to. I guess I'm just going to have to starve to death. I'm going to learn to grow some tomatoes. I'm, I'm just not taking the mark. Like, we, there's just going to come that testing of our faith, and we have to realize that it's happening because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to exalt man above God. He wants to exalt anything else in our lives above our worship of God because as soon as we begin to exalt ourselves, that's where humanism comes in. You can see it all throughout history. That's where what's called hedonism comes in, where you live based on your feelings. Oh, this feels right. Don't judge me because I think this is right. So whatever I think is good, that's what I'm going to do. And now all of a sudden, more morality becomes relative right because of how i feel well this is how i feel so this is how i am that's how it's gonna like that's what the devil wants to do because i've elevated myself over what god's truth is because god's truth is a perfect standard it doesn't need to be adjusted god didn't even ask our opinion when he wrote it i know some of us think he should have well if i was no 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 he didn't ask your opinion he already knows he put the laws into motion and he's the one so we he doesn't need our help now to adjust them well god those people are really mad about this and i think that if we just no his standard never moves why are we we've got to realize the enemy is trying to get us to exalt ourselves exalt the things of this world the, our own thinking that's what's called mental ascent well i've figured it out I, I thought i've arrived in my thinking at this place where i've figured out everything at a higher state no god's ha- thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways it's that's not our place to figure it out the other thing the enemy tries to do in this elevating of ourselves is get us. He doesn't care what it is that you worship as long as it's not God. So he tries to elevate other things and sneak them in in our lives. And it happens so easily and sometimes not even on purpose. But it's things like sports or shopping or eating or education or, you know, whatever it is or playing the PS4. All different kinds of things that if he can get us to begin to worship those things, then he's accomplished his objective and he's moved us away from our primary purpose. And that's to glorify and bring praise our heavenly father 
That's where I, I think we get mixed up on worship sometimes. Even worship in a church, you know, you ask a lot of people, well, what, what should worship look like? Well, it should be reverential. It should be kind of quiet. It should be a little subdued. You know, it should be kind of, it's just, it's just, my faith is private. Nobody needs to know about it. It's just between, listen, that's not the picture the Bible gives us. Read the Psalms and tell me that worship should be quiet. Actually, it says praise him with the loud and ringing cymbals, baby. Come on. I need some drums behind the preacher today. It says praise him with the stringed instruments. Praise him with that zither, baby, and the solo. Wow, with the windmill in there, you know. Like, worship is meant to look a little more rowdy. It's meant to be loud. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because if we don't do it, the rocks are going to cry out, and they ain't going to be quiet about it. Like, See, I think worship is meant to look a little bit more like our Saturday afternoon football or like the concert that we go to, you know. Think about that for a minute from God's perspective. What happens? Some guy runs across a painted line in the field with a ball or kicks a ball into a net or whatever it is, or some singer walks out on the stage and hasn't even sung yet. And what happens is you have these arenas and it literally erupts with praise. All of a sudden shouting goes up, clapping. And, and you know, sometimes depending on the arena, like you can literally feel the ground begin to shake because of all the people. And what do you got going on there? You got worship going on. That's what worship is. That's what it's meant to be. That's what it should look like. And then we come into church and we're like, mm, I just don't even like that song. I just think about that from God's perspective. Like, give me your adoration. Give me your praise. Like, I, like I, for me, like, I just decided, like, I love football, y'all. And I get loud when my Oklahoma Sooners score a touchdown. I'm shouting in the house. But it's not near as loud as I'm going to shout and I'm going to praise when we come in this place. And that's, that's just how it's going to be. Because I'm not going to give, listen, I'm not going to give my worship. I'm not going to give my time more time. I'm not going to give more of my finances. I'm not going to give more of my energies to some group of people, some team that can't save me, instead of giving that to the one who actually did save me. That's what I'm talking about. Like, if God could just get half of our, I know I'm stepping on some sacred ground this morning, but if God could get, like, half of our devotion to our sports team, half of our devotion to wait in line for the movies and all the things that we go to see, if God could just get half of the resources that we spend on this thing, man, think about what we, come. We've got to get some things in line in our lives because we've allowed things to slip in and draw our worship away from God of things. Other things have taken those places got to get back to my notes and stop preaching. Our spiritual enemy wants to get us to exalt ourselves. But we have to decide as people who follow Jesus what we will not worship. I'm, I'm not worshiping that. I'm not going to. Listen, God wants us to enjoy this life. That's why he made all these great things. And he doesn't mind us having other passions. He doesn't mind us going to sports events and enjoying that. He just minds it when we love it more than him. When it takes a place over him that it shouldn't be. Like, he doesn't mind us having that. Let's look at the story of uh, back in, in Shad, uh, Rakshak and Benny, chapter 3, verse 16. They wouldn't bow, and the king was furious. He brought them in. He said, heat up the furnace seven times hotter and get, tie them up. And then he said this, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, "King, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. And the, Like, in our day and time, they're saying, listen, we don't need to shout. We don't need to pick it. We don't need to protest. I don't need a petition. I don't need everyone to sign it. I don't need a Facebook post with a thousand likes and let everyone know my opinion about it. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from our, your hand, O king. I love their respect. O king, like, we, don't, we don't have to shout. We don't get up in your face. 
Like, like we can stand and be respectful. And I love this next part. But even if God doesn't save us, we want you to know, King, we won't serve your gods or worship. Not going there. Thank you, but no. And I, and I think that they believed the threat was real. <laughs> They're tied up and the furnace is hot, you know, and the king is yelling at them. I, I don't think they thought he was bluffing, like, ah, just kidding. You know, I think they felt the heat of the flames. And some of us are feeling that in our own lives. We feel the heat from the flames, and we're wondering, what do I do? Let's look at the next story. Because the second thing our enemy wants to do is he wants to stop the worship of God. He wants to stop the worship of God. Daniel chapter 6. So Daniel learned about the decree that had been published, that he couldn't pray to anyone but the king. So he went home to his upstairs rooms where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to God. I love this this phrase, just as he had done before. So he wasn't like doing it to spite them. Oh, you think you're going to stop me? Look, look what I could. No, he had just already been doing it. So he's like, I'm just going to continue. I, I, I'm going to continue to worship God. So these men, they went out and as a group, and they found Daniel praying, asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Oh, king, didn't you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except for you would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, said, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. The king realized at this moment, I think, like, uh-oh. Because this is his friend. This is somebody that he liked. And it says that he was distraught. He was upset about it. He didn't sleep all night. He got up in the morning and ran to the lion's den. He opens it back and he's like, Daniel, are you all right in there? Are you alive? Daniel's like, yeah, I'm just petting the kitties down here. I'll be all right. I'm good. Scripture says that God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lion. See, that's the thing about standing for your faith and standing in a culture that's very ungodly is that you're not standing alone. See, Rakshak and Benny, they're in the fire, and King Nebuchadnezzar gets up, and he's, he's a little freaked out. He's like, didn't we put three guys in there? Like, yeah, Rakshak, Benny, three guys in there. King's like, but I see four men walking around in the flames, and one of them looks like the Son of God. Like, they weren't in there alone. Like, every time we begin to stand, we, it requires some courage from us to stand for our faith. You're not standing alone. We're not doing this thing alone. God is there. He's always there with us. That's why it says he's our very present help in time of need. Man, God is there. We don't need to back down from what we're doing. So what do we do? We're going to people who stand in our faith. We're not going to back down from it. We're not going to be rude and nasty and get in other people's faith. We're going to love well. We're going to stand in our faith, but we're going to hold on. We're going to do what believers do. That means we're going to live like we talk. That's what believers do. So what, what does all this add up to for us? We know there's a battle for our worship, a war for our worship. So we need to be able to you know, have a little checkup. Like, where am I at with this? Where have I allowed things to come in? Where have I been worshiping things in my life where I shouldn't be? So how do I make sure that I'm not deceived? I believe that Jesus gives us a great example of, you know, a worship checkup. So each of us can get a checkup for our worship to see where we're at, to make sure there's not things in our lives that we've allowed to become idols, things that we've worshiped over God, places where we've compromised and allowed things in. It's in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And a religious person came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? This is what he said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. With your heart and soul, with your mind, with your strength. So work, worship checkup for us is this. We're going to 
love with all of our heart and soul. That's our affections, right? Our heart and soul, our affections. Like, what do you love the most? Where do your emotions go, right? Because your soul is that emotional side of you, your heart. You know, like, I'm in this thing, heart and soul. Like, like your emotions. So where do your emotions go when you're in trouble? When someone comes and says something to you and gets in your face, and you, you, where do your emotions run to? Do you run to a, a substance, a bottle, or a relationship, or whatever it is? Do you retreat from something? What about, you know, where, where do your emotions run to? Because that's become an idol for our lives. That's become something that we're worshiping. Here's the next one for us in our worship checklist is our mind. Heart and soul and mind. Mind is our attention. What am I thinking about? What are we thinking about the most? Because whatever you think about the most is likely become the thing you worship. Right? And it can be all kinds of things. Right? Maybe it's a diagnosis you got from a doctor and it's something you weren't expecting. And now all, it's, all you can think about is this thing. And, and then the fears start coming in as the what ifs and all this other stuff. And it's just become this overwhelming thoughts and you can't think about anything else. And before long, man, that's become the thing. That's become the idol in your life because that's what you think about the most. Man, maybe it's just those comments that somebody makes into you. You know, they speak these like, ah, oh, you just, you're not good enough for this promotion. You'll never be the one to, whatever it is. And, and all of a sudden, that's all you begin to think about. You just think about all these words and how, how much it hurts you. And before long, you know, this bitterness and unforgiveness and revenge, you want to get back at them. Those things are all that consumes your mind. And those things become the thing you worship because that's what you've thought about. But that's why scripture says, hey, don't be conformed to this world. Don't begin to look like and think like and become shaped like the things of this world. But instead, Instead, be transformed. How am I transformed? By the renewing of my mind. I've got to change what I'm thinking about. So when those thoughts come, I've got to realize those thoughts are there. And, I, okay, I'm not going to think about that. What does God's word say about this? That's how I'm renewed by my mind. By replacing those thoughts with what God's thoughts are. What are God's thoughts? They're found in the Bible. The pages of the book are God's thoughts. They're God's will for us to understand. So, man, if you've got a, a diagnosis and that thing's become an idol in your life and you're realizing this is consuming you, you need to begin to get God's thoughts that says that by his stripes that you are healed. It's good to have doctors. I love doctors. They can help us, but we know God is the healer. So we're going to use wisdom, but we're also going to believe God's promise. And so when that thought comes, that fear comes, like, no, God didn't give me a spirit of fear. He gave me a spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind. Some of us are just wrapped up in fear. And that's become the idol that we worship. And make no mistake, our enemy wants fear to be an idol in our lives. Think about it in this time of the year, just in this time of the year, where fear is worshipped, where fear is glorified, where fear is now amusement. Go, to, go be scared to be amused, to have a good time. Give your money and your attention and your time. Go wait in lines to go into a th- Listen, God didn't give that to you. There's only one other place that's coming from. Now, that's sacred ground in Orlando right there. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. Some of us are so wrapped up into that fear about all different kinds of things and we need to realize how do i renew my mind from fear well you need to get some faith inside of you faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of god so you need to begin to speak it yourself it's not only my job to speak faith into you you've got the most access to yourself (laughs) 
<laughs> so you need to begin to speak faith. You know, when you open the book, begin to read it out loud. For God has not given me the spirit of fear. He's given me power. He's given me love. He's given me a sound mind. Some of us, we've, we've elevated depression and all these things to this place where it's an idol. It's, a, it's an image that's set up, and we're meant to almost wear it as a badge. Ah, I've got depression. I've got anxiety. See, I can't even. No, 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 no. God has given you a sound mind. He hasn't given you fear. We need to begin to replace those things and let our minds be renewed. I'm going to start preaching. I've got to stay to my heart and soul, mind. And the last part of our worship checkup is strength. That's our strength. That's our abilities. That's our abilities. What do you do the most? What are you doing for God? What are we doing for God? Isn't it funny how much time and energy and effort and resource we can put into other things? And then when it comes, they're like, oh, the pastor just wants us to serve. He just wants us to get, like, listen. What are we doing the most? That's the thing that's become our idol, that, that thing that we worship. So why is it that we always, like, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll put that last. Like, God, you can have this part. But what is the thing that we're doing the most? That's the thing that we were created to do was worship him. But we sometimes just let other things creep in and be those things for us. And that's what is going to be the greatest battle for us in these last days is what are we going to worship? What am I going to give the most of myself to? I'm just telling you, it's coming. The test is coming. Now, some of us, it's going to look a little different. I pray you're never put in that place where you have to choose between your faith and your life. But make no mistake, it happens every day in our world. I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who helps a, a pastor in India. And uh, he pastors several churches, a, a network of churches there in India. And he got a call because they were calling and saying, the government just swept in and they're, they're, they're shutting all our churches and taking them all. And if the pastors won't leave, they're putting them in jail. The test is coming. Some of us will never be faced with that test. It'll be something much less severe, you know, praying over your meal or will I honor God with my tithe? Will I? Whatever it is, the test is coming. What are you going to worship? All of us are worshiping something. We've got to be honest with ourselves enough to work through this worship checklist. And that's where you need the Holy Spirit, honestly. You don't need me to tell you what it is that you've, you've been worshiping or what, you know, you should be doing this. And so, like, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It says that he leads us into truth. He guides us. My job is to help make that connection. You know, this is the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. That's why I always say, whether we're giving of our money, whether we're serving, getting on a team, whatever it is, ask him, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? And do that. Do what he says. Follow God. Follow his voice. Because if we don't, if we just begin to figure it out on our own, no, I think that the, that's where we step. Now we're being deceived. We're self-deceived because we've tricked ourselves into it. The devil doesn't even have to get involved because we've elevated our own self. So we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to have that open door in our lives, to bring that correction at any moment. It's not fun. Nobody likes correction. But if we want to be people of influence, if we want to be used by God, where we get to the end of our lives and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, we've got, we've got to allow him to work in our lives. We've got to get ourselves to this place where we're not deceived, where we're able to stand strong and love people well and allow God to work through us in that way. So let's just do that in this moment. Can we do that?
Just right where you are. Those of you who want to do that, you, you know, you're open to that, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. You just begin to talk to him, Holy Spirit, and go through that worship checklist in your mind. Where, have I, where do my emotions run to? 